0: To discuss all things male factor infertility from a black male's perspective the good, the bad, the happy, and sad journey. I'm Paul, and this is my story. Hey guys, welcome back to the Shooting Blinks podcast. This is episode two. This is your host, Paul. Episode two is going to be our story regarding trying to conceive, being diagnosed with infertility, and moving forward with our infertility. I also went public with having male factor infertility this week as this week is a uh, national infertility awareness week this podcast is being recorded on friday night so on wednesday i decided to go public with our infertility and whatnot letting people know that we are struggling trying to conceive and going forward and just to be a resource out there so i hope this episode is enlightening, gives you guys an idea about our journey so far and up to date to where we end it and whatnot. So hopefully you guys enjoy it and here it goes. So the beginning. Alyssa and I met when I was in sophomore in college and she was a senior in high school. So I was nineteen, she was seventeen, and this was on social media. We met on a social media site. It wasn't even a dating site. It was like something similar to myspace but it wasn't myspace i think it was called like meet me or something like that i don't even remember but we had met on that website that's where we start first started conversing and whatnot and everything and you know we didn't decide to meet up um, she actually came to Rutgers because she lived in the town over from ruckers and edison and she came over i think she had a day off or something it was like whatever and she came over, we went out to lunch, We headed off, started talking some more. And then a few weeks later, I think we started dating and whatnot. So we dated from 2008 all the way through ups and downs into 2016. And then I proposed in March of 2016. We uh, have finally gotten our own apartment together. We were both working careers. And we had graduated college by this point. So uh, I felt like this was a woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. So I proposed in March of 2016. And then we got married on November 4th of 2017. September of 2018, we actually moved from New Jersey down to North Carolina as my job offered me a transfer opportunity. I'm a mechanical engineer. So they offered me a transfer opportunity, was able to keep my salary. And we decided to just take the leap. We didn't have children yet. We didn't have a house and a mortgage or anything of that nature. We didn't have, we had one pet. We had our one cat knuckles, but other than family, for the most part, that's the only thing that was tying us to where we were living because we were born and raised in New Jersey and our family are both from New Jersey. So we decided to take the leap and move down to North Carolina, settled into North Carolina. I think it was around end of September, beginning of November. Uh, We talked about having a family and getting ready to start the process of having a family. Back when Alyssa and I first got together and started dating and everything, she had first told me that, one, she wanted a lot of kids. She said six. I said I wanted two or three, but definitely not six. She came from a smaller family. Um, It was only her and her brother. And I came from a larger family. I had five siblings. So there were six of us. So it was like the complete opposite and whatnot. So... You know, from the jump street, we both knew that we both did want children um, eventually and whatnot. So also, she told us that, you know, she had been diagnosed with uh, polycyst- polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, when she was in high school. So that she always would think that, you know, conceiving would be an issue um, without any type of assistance or anything. So we had made an appointment at the fertility clinic in our area that was in network with our insurance. And you know, we met with the doctor, her reproduction endocrinologist, and kind of just laid out the steps and you know everything of that nature and whatnot. So I'm like, all right, cool. They had to run some tests on Alyssa, had to run some tests on me, brought a test on me. I had to do a semen analysis, typical routine things. Which when I first did it, I had you know I didn't have any reservations about anything of sort regarding it. So. You know, I scheduled the appointment because they said they wanted you to abstain from sex for like two to three days or whatever before giving your semen analysis or whatever. So I think I scheduled it for like two or three days later because we did have sex, I think, that week or whatever. And then, you know, I did the appointment. I went, did the semen analysis, and then really kind of forgot about it. And then like two and a half, three weeks later, November 27th, I remember the date. It was like right around lunchtime, middle of the day. I received a call from her doctor and the doctor asked me if now was a good time to talk and she just kind of wanted to go over my results so i was like yeah that's no problem so i just like stepped into the conference room you know we talked and whatnot and then she goes your semen analysis came back and there was no sperm and although it was only like 10 seconds before i said something it felt like forever hearing those words and i was like what do you mean she was like your semen analysis came back with no sperm At that time i didn't even know what that meant you know what do you mean no sperm like I always thought people just had low sperm counts, but I didn't think that people had no sperm. Like, I didn't know this was a thing. I was like, all right, thank you for your time, whatever. I got off the phone. I did the only thing I could do. I called my wife, let her know about it, and told her I was going to stay at work, finish the day out. And then, you know, we talked more when I got home about it. I think I lasted maybe 45 minutes, an hour max. And I was just told my boss, I got to go home. I can't do this. Like, well, I didn't tell him what was going on exactly, but I was just like, I got to go home. Like, I I was like, I just got to go. I just, I just need the rest of the day off. And luckily my boss was cool and whatnot. So I went home and literally just cried. I cried. I've never cried like that before or ever again. I don't think I just cried my eyes out getting this diagnosis. You know, then I had to set up an appointment with um, a urologist specializing in fertility that the clinic had on site and he's great and I am thankful that they had one there you know in the clinic so I didn't have to do much so we talked about you know what this meant and in the meantime I started looking up what this meant and like things the different types of azuspermia and you know whether it was obstructive non-obstructive and things like that you you get told you have this put my google fool in and started doing all types of research regarding it and just kind of to get as much information as I can. So I talked with the urologist, you know, we did another semen analysis, like a reverse semen analysis, more blood work, you know, regarding like genetic testing, chromosome deletion, just things to kind of give us an idea of what we were dealing with. And if they could have any type of reasoning behind, you know, why on my semen analysis, I had no sperm. Every single like result that was coming in throughout the next like months or so all started pointing towards non-obstructive azuspermia. Azuspermia is usually divided into two categories. You have obstructive azuspermia and non-obstructive azuspermia. As the obstructive one sounds, it means that there's like a blockage or something. There could be a varicole, you know, there could be a just it's not allowing sperm to travel up your penis from your testicles and out, you know, there's something that's physically blocking it. And then there's ones that's called non-obstructive, which, again, sounds exactly like it says. There's no obstruction there. It's just none being made, essentially, or just none traveling through. The doctor had told me that there was pretty much two options that we could do. Um, there was an option called a Tessa and a Microtessi. A Tessa and a Microtessi are similar, it's basically them poking around your testicles to see if there's any sperm just sitting dormant in your testicles. A Tessa doesn't really have any types of specific areas that they're going. They're literally just kind of like mapping out to see if there's any. And it's not very invasive. And then an the though, is they actually slice up your testicles. Not slice up, but slice your testicles open. And then they open them up and see if there's any sperm sitting in there type of thing. It's, it's very much more invasive than a Tessa. And he told me that, you know, there's pretty much a 50-50 chance of having sperm there and just sitting dormant in your Tessies and in, in your testicles and whatnot. So told us also at the time that if there was, if we were to do the procedure, the m he would want to do it with IVF for Alyssa, as well as having donor sperm on the Back burner just in case they didn't have any. I didn't have any, so they can go ahead and start, you know, the fertility process. And when he told me that, I was like, absolutely not. Hell no. Do not pass gold. Do not collect $200. Absolutely not. There was no way. There's no chance. Absolutely no chance that this was happening. At that point, all right, that's fine. He understood and we moved forward. We left it at that. And then. That was uh, late 2018. And at that point, it was like out of sight, out of mind. I bottled it in. I didn't talk about it with Alyssa. I didn't talk about it with anyone. I literally, it wasn't happening. You know, I could just compartmentalize it and leave it alone and it's going to go away and I'm not going to have to deal with this. And I just shut down and everything of that sort. That was pretty much for the next 12 months how it went. Alyssa would try to talk regarding it and talk about my infertility and talk about, you know, us having to go through these procedures and you know, the use of donor sperm or if we have to and me having the mtessy and all of this and i would shut it down every single time i try to start a different topic or an argument or even lash out it was probably the roughest period in our early marriage i mean at this point we're married a year when we pretty much got this diagnosis we literally hit a year got this diagnosis and now we're here like this is a this is a big hurdle because i know how important children were to alyssa i've always known she's the one of the Things that Alyssa has, and she's never hid this from me either, was how much being a mother means to her. I always, I've always known that, and I've always respected that, and I've I've always been fine with it because I've always wanted to be a father. So I'm one of six, like I had said before, right? But I was raised by my grandparents. I have no idea who my biological father is. Uh, My mother doesn't. My mother's told me his name but she doesn't remember him either because unfortunately my mother is an addict so she's she's been clean now sober now for 10 years but my entire life pretty much she's been an addict so if you know anything about addicts then you know how that can be never met this man so like I literally could have walked past this man every day of my life and have zero idea who he is zero so but back to this so like I knew how important Alyssa having children was and like i said i'm i want cho- i've always wanted children as well knowing that and whatnot and but biologically big because i've always said that like you know having children like i could never do like sperm donor that my father was where you just have a kid and just never see him like you know like it's been something in me that's always wanted to i guess make up for what i didn't have biologically cuz my grandfather was, was amazing that's that's my father that's who raised me That's my grandfather. He raised me. That's my father figure and everything. I love him to death. But I've always felt like it's a little bit different when you don't have that biological connection because he's also my mother's stepfather. So he's not my mother's biological father. My grandmother got married very young to my mother's biological grandfather. They divorced after a year and a half. She then met my grandfather that raised me and had two more children with him. And he helped raise my mother as well. So... Back to my timeline though, January of 2020, I decided that it was was time for me to do the work. I was miserable. Um, I made a mantra that 2020 was gonna be the year that health is wealth in all things. So I started therapy in January of 2020. I looked and looked and looked for a therapist that was one, gonna be black, just as a black male. There's a lot of things that black folks going, just go through that I just feel that it's best served as someone in the community. And two, that he was going to be male. I know there's great black uh, women therapists, especially for men too. Like I, I don't discredit that, but I feel more comfortable. I feel safer. I just felt like having a black male therapist was going to be like the number one priority for me. And then the second thing with that was I didn't want a faith based counselor. And I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I was born and raised in a very religious household. I'm a believer, but I did not want a, I did not, I just didn't want a faith-based counselor. And being in North Carolina, I was finding a lot of them to be faith-based. Luckily, I did find a guy who wasn't faith-based, who was black, and obviously he was male. Man, am I glad that I found him. And in January 2020, he saved me. He going to therapy saved me. It saved me. It saved my marriage. It saved my sanity. Talking with him. He was like, yo, you're just you're grieving. He was like, this is a loss of you. You're losing the possibility of having biological children. That's a loss like there's, that's a grief. That's a trauma. That's a traumatic event. And you have to grieve it. And there's I'm not going to tell you how to grieve it or how not to grieve it. But you, just, you have to grieve it. You can't just put it away and not grieve it. It's literally like you lost you lost something. You you lost something. We we went through, I want to say six or seven straight weeks of therapy. Like I mean, deep. We opened and unpacked a lot of things. And man, did I leave those sessions with a weight lifted lifted off my shoulders, a more clear view of the world, um, the clarity that I got in life. Man, I am thankful. Um And blessed that, um you know, I was able to find me a therapist. And again, this was January 2020, and everybody knows what happens, you know, two months, three months later. The COVID happens, and the world kind of shuts down. And I don't think if if not for me starting therapy in January 2020, I don't cope with how COVID goes and all of 2020 in general, how that goes for me and my family. Very well, if I didn't already have the tools that I got in, this, in therapy that I started. And at the same time, I started to think about weight loss surgery. So I've always been a fat guy. I've always been a fat kid. Like, I'm not even going to say big. I've always been a fat person. Like, I've always been fat. And growing up, I was always the bigger kid. You know, I was always overweight. I couldn't even do Pop Warner football when I wanted to because I was over the weight limit for the age group and everything. So I think at this time, January, February of 2020, I think I was about 450 pounds at the time. And actually, I had lost... I was down to like 375 at one point prior to we got married and whatnot. And then we moved to North Carolina. Then I got this diagnosis and I grew, I gained the weight back. Like, let's just be real. I was stressed. I wasn't taking care of myself because I didn't like so much was going on. I started thinking about the weight loss surgery because when the clinic... And, and we talked about everything about me having any of the pr- two procedures, the TESSA or the m testy. They wanted me under a certain BMI for me to safely be able to do it with the anesthesia. In September of 2020, I had the gastric bypass surgery. I've lost over 175 pounds total from my highest. I think my highest, highest recorded weight is like 475 pounds. As of this recording, I'm like 288. So I've lost, you know, I've lost almost 200 pounds, thankfully. So... I had the surgery. You know, I did all of that. And then my surgeon that did the surgery told me he didn't want me to have any other type of procedure until, you know, a full year had passed with me with the weight loss. So then June of 2021, you know, I meet back up with the clinic. You know, I do another semen analysis, same result, zero. We talk, all right, you lost the weight, you've done this. So really, ideally, the next step is only at this point. The next step is the m They've also told me that they are no longer requiring us to have donor sperm on the back burner to do IVF. He said they could just freeze it if we wanted to, if they found any sperm. So I felt a little bit more comfortable with that. I just said, all right, you know, I'm going to do it. Uh, so I talked with my wife, Alyssa. We talked about it. We scheduled um, the appointment. The original um, surgery date was going to be December because that's all they had. And literally two days before the sur- the day of the actual surgery, like, and like, so I'm talking about like September 7th or something. Like they called me and was like, hey, we got an opening on Wednesday for the procedure. I don't know if you can do it, but if you want it, it's yours. And we were like, if not now then then when type of thing so you know i have the flexibility to work i have the time off or whatever so i can do it like i know it's going to be short notice for the surgery or whatever but why not i decided to so we decided to do it um unfortunately um the results were no sperm i waived on this decision for a really long time i was like did i really want to know if i don't have any sperm Do I really need to know if I don't have any sperm? Like, what is going to happen if you don't have any sperm? Like, how does this affect everything? But I really did need to know. I needed the closure that I did every single thing that I possibly could do to give myself a chance. I lost the weight. I did the therapy. I grieved this. So this was like literally the last thing that was holding me back to know that if this door was going to stay open or be closed. It was just that simple. You know, I can walk away knowing that I did every possible thing because if I don't do the, if I don't do the surgery and we go down the fostering, adopting, you know, donor sperm or whatever we decide to do childless, if we did decide to do that, then I may have that regret that, you know, I never did the surgery to know if I could truly have a biological child or anything. I just said, no, I have to do it. So, um... And I can live with that piece. Like, I did everything that I possibly could. Leading up to this, though, my wife and I decided that we were going to start putting our energy into the things that we can control. That was our biggest thing from that point on. Just to put our energy into the things that we can control. We don't control our DNA. We don't control our genetic makeup. And we don't control the whys. There's just some unfortunate things that happened to us. And this was one of them. After the surgery happened and I was told that I had no sperm, you know, me and Alyssa talked. And um, she took it harder, I think than i did and because at this point you know it, i felt pretty confident that they weren't going to find any sperm honestly it's just one of those things i felt like after all these lifestyle changes all these things like if i had any sperm down there they would have found something when and all of the different semen analysis or whatever like something would have been found so even though he said it was 50 50 going into it like i really thought it was like 20 percent, 80 percent chance that i wasn't going to have anything our journey ended for me having biological children at this point. At this point now, Alyssa and I have to make a decision. We have to decide whether we're going to do donor sperm, whether we're going to do adoption, whether we're going to do childish, childless, or, you know, just kind of go with the status quo at this point. I'll talk about this separate episode exclusively about about it. This wasn't a decision that was made lightly. Donor sperm isn't for every couple. Uh, There's no right or wrong answer. Um, for any couple that decides, however they do decide. You pretty much have three choices though, once you're told you have no sperm. Um, and that your door is closed on biological children. Adoption, child-free, or moving forward donor. Alyssa wanted to be pregnant and to carry a child. That's one of her things. I've known that for the 14 years that we've been together. I don't want to take that away from her. I think any partner, if you can give your spouse or partner anything, something if you can give them something that you Fits that you literally can or make happen, you don't want to take that away from them. Especially something that they've been dreaming about for as long as they can remember and something that they've always been honest and open with you about, you know? And just because I couldn't give her a child that's biologically mine doesn't mean that she shouldn't still be able to carry a child. Uh, so we decided that we were going to go down a donor sperm path with intra-urine insemination. It's called IUI. Something that helped me make this decision and go through with using donor sperm was. When I was first diagnosed with azospermia, I was talking to a close friend of mine and he asked me a couple questions. He was like, first question, would you ever adopt? Like, does it have to be a biological child for you to love them? And I was like, no, it doesn't have to be. Like, we always did talk about how adoption would be a thing for us. Like we believed in adoption and how much of helping others would be great. You know, especially there's so many children in the world that are looking for You know, loving families and loving couples to to be with and to take care of them. And, you know, that'd be something good to have. And I was like, absolutely. So I don't think that, you know, adoption was ever off the table. Then he asked me, would those adopted children ever feel less loved by you or Alyssa compared to your biological children? And I was like, of course not. You know, they're still going to be my children. And then he hit me with, so you're okay with a child that's not biologically connected to you or Alyssa, but you're also not, but you're not okay with a child that's only connected to Alyssa. And that's like when the light bulb moment went off. We were okay with a child that's 0% each of us, but not okay with 0 and 50. In the beginning, I definitely wasn't. Like I said, when I first talk, talked about this whole donor sperm thing, I was like, absolutely not. I got what he was saying. I was like, yeah, but at the same time, like, it's still not my, like, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, like, and whatnot. So, then, like, I went home, you know, I thought of, like, it kept coming up as i was going to sleep and everything and it just kept replaying in my mind about that and i was just like he has a point that alonzo morning gif. i understand like i get it like i get where he was going from we essentially came up with the decision to use donor sperm and again like i said it's going to be a completely different episode um exclusively about choosing and whatnot and the hurdles and everything surrounding donor sperm but it was a lot it's it's a true closure on not having biological kids, I guess, going through that process. That's where that is. Kind of to touch on, like I had stated previously, you know, I was raised by my grandfather, who's not biologically my grandfather. So he actually is someone that I've talked to about it. Growing up with him, I've never felt less love from him, even though I wasn't biologically his, you know. Like I said, like he'll tell you, like, that's, that's my grandson. Like, that's, I'm his grandson. Like, he's my grandfather. I love him to death. That's the father figure that I grew up. I talked with him at least one to two times a week on minimum we've gotten a lot closer since i've grown up since i've become an adult and become a man but that's my that's that's my man that's my man 50 grand it's i have that as a resource i guess you can say and it's been helpful but at the same time it's one of those like he has his but he has biological children so it's not the same as well you know what i mean like it's one of those things where like i'm just yearning for a biological connection not having my father or knowing whom biologically I am, like where I am biologically, especially half of my makeup comes from, like why I am the way that I am or, you know, whatever medical issues that I have or just whatever, like I'm missing half of that. And I've yearned, yearned for that so, 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 so much. I'm not gonna be able to pass that down to a child and that hurts, that hurts so much. I've come to terms that it's going to hurt, you know, it's not something that, just never it's not it's 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 going to hurt it's going to hurt i'm i'm going to be able to move forward and deal with it and 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 go past it and live with it but it's still something that hurts that's the that's the biggest thing that i kind of took away about this like with especially with grief there was um a friend sent me this image about grief and getting over something or grieving with something right so it's not that as time moves forward you know the grief goes away the grief stays there it's always going to be there think of grief think about a square room just a regular square room and the beginning of grief there's a ball it's it takes up most of the room like it's basically and covering the entire room and as time that ball the grief ball shrinks it gets smaller but every now and again it touches one of those sides of the walls which triggers something and that's where the pain comes from and that's pretty much what it is i have my good days i have my bad days Regarding the loss of being able to biologically have children. And I'm sure as as time goes on and whatnot, you know, that grief ball gets smaller and smaller, smaller and smaller. But there's still little triggers every now and again, you know, like we've gone through and I felt this for Alyssa so much. We've had so many close family and friends become pregnant, have beautiful, healthy babies over these last four years. And like, we're very ecstatic for them. We're very happy with them. Like we don't, we're not, we're not mean about it or anything like, but it's, it's a trigger. Like let's, it's, let's call it what it is. It's a trigger. It's, it's, it's some envy, some jealous, some, I guess you can say bitterness. And I, I think anyone could feel that way. I really felt for Alyssa when we first got this diagnosis, because we got our diagnosis in November of 2018. And then January of 2019, her brother, her sister-in-law was pregnant with with our nephew. And I think that was that was probably the toughest time that we've had. And it was because it was just so raw, it was so fresh, it was so raw. We love that little that little boy. Uh, his name is Logan, and we actually absolutely love him. It's just one of those things where I just want to kind of be able to experience, you know, the joy of raising a child, the good times, the bad times, the happy times, the sad times and everything. I'm hopeful that we will get there. So I'm going to end this podcast here. Episode three will probably be out in about a week or so. Um, It's going to be, I think I'm going to interview Alyssa. And I think I'm going to have Alyssa here and we'll have her talk and, you know, kind of give her from her perspective and things like that and whatnot. So until next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You can hit the subscribe button. Leave me a review on wherever you get your podcast at Apple, Spotify or Stitcher. I look forward to sharing his journey with you all. You can find me at shootingblinkspodcast.com, on Twitter at underscore TSB podcast, or email me at paul at com.